Well, we've come to our, um, our last sermon in our ne- Neglected Virtues and Acceptable Sin series. And uh, this week we turn to the neglected virtue of self-control. Self-control is a funny thing, and I can tell why it's a neglected virtue. I think it's because we believe a lie that the world sells that it's boring. I did a um, quick browse on the web to see what people think. Uh, It turns out Jordan Peterson loves to talk about self-control. He talks about self-control as your ego controlling your id. Now, uh, your ego is your consciousness and your id is your desires and so your id demands sex and food and fun and your ego controls these things and and makes sure they're not too loud in your life and makes sure they're appropriate, right? The world says, boring, let your id run your life. The demands for sex and food and fun should be loud and clear. Here's another take. Uh, This was an American preacher, and she said, self-control helps you to to do what you don't want to do so that you can have what you want to have later on. And she applied it to weight loss and debt management. And this just sounds like lifestyle advice, right? Some people in the world will hear the wisdom of delayed gratification, but the vast majority will respond with boring. I like it. You should be able to have what you want right now. I'm going to order this in the express post so I can get it sooner. There was another video from a guy. He was quick to acknowledge that self-control sounds boring. His words, not mine. But he assured us that it's not, but then gave us the five most boring techniques I've ever heard in my life. It was rules, planning, challenges, maybe, maybe fun sometimes, but then consequences, and then practice. This just sounds so boring. There are a lot of other videos that that talked about self-control as being some sort of like mind discipline or having a strong mind, or maybe being a, a mind warrior. I like that one. That was pretty cool. But by and large, the world is quick to dismiss self-control as the most boring thing on the planet. It's no surprise, then, that self-control is a big deal in the Bible, because the Bible often runs against the grain of our culture, doesn't it? The Bible's view of self-control, though, It's not lifestyle advice. It's not gimmicky techniques for having self-control. What the Bible says about self-control is far more profound than that. And far from being boring, the Bible claims that self-control is critical. And that there's a wisdom and a beauty to self-control. Let's start with how it's critical. Uh, My first point... Sorry, you don't have points in your outlines. If you've got a pen and paper, write this down. First point is that self-control saves us. Now, I hope that makes you really uncomfortable. Uh, As I wrote it, I was thinking, oh, Josh and Phil, they're going to be mad when they hear about this. Um, Because we've just went through the first six chapters of Romans, and it says all along that we're saved by grace through faith alone. And when Phil started this series, he even started by reminding us of the most important thing, which was that we're saved by grace. And maybe you're here for the first week, and if you haven't heard that yet, you need to go back and listen to that again. And we're not talking about this whole series, Respectable Sins, Neglected Virtues, as though tidying them up in our lives will, will save us. But we're talking about them because we live for a new master, 
and we live for him and it changes the way that we should live. But now I'm here telling you that self-control saves us. Well, I hope your theological hackles are up on the back of your neck, but bear with me. Uh, Keep your Bibles open. uh, The New New Testament passage that we had read in Matthew 16, and uh, we're going to start at verse 24. So read with me from verse 24. It says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wants to come with me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will find it. What benefit, what will it benefit a man if he gains the whole world yet loses his life? Or what will a man give in exchange for his life? I think when Jesus says, come with him, whoever wants to come with him, he's ultimately talking about coming with him to where he's going, back to the glory that he has in the, in the kingdom of the Father. And to go with him there, you have to deny yourself. I think Jesus is talking about self-control here. I think this means to put Jesus in your life in the place that he's meant to occupy, in first place, right in the middle of your life. Not an afterthought, not an addition. He takes center stage. And this is the essence of self-control. It's putting yourself in submission to Jesus, taking up your cross, dying to yourself, your sinful self, being crucified with him and following him, taking his lead, not your own. The beginning of self-control is to say, self is not Lord, Jesus is. See how Jesus puts himself at the centre of the conditions he makes as well? Can you see that in verse 25? He says, if you lose your life for my sake, you'll save it. And he can make this astonishing claim because of exactly who he is. Have a look in verse 27. It says, for the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will reward each according to what he has done. I assure you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. This is the Son of Man judgment figure of Daniel 7, attended by his angels in the glory of the Father, ruler of the heavenly kingdom, and he demands to be put in first place in our life. Sin is the opposite of that. Sin is putting the self before God. That's why we had that Genesis 2 reading. God creates the world, he places man in the garden, he gives him rules to live by, one of which being to not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And when Adam and Eve eat from the tree, by rejecting God's command, they reject God. And it's even explicit When the serpent tempts Eve, he tempts her by saying that when she eats from the tree, she'll become like God. Sin displaces God from the centre of our lives and our obedience to his commands and it sets ourselves up as the rulers of our lives. Instead of controlling ourselves to be in submission to God and his commands, to the God who owns us and maids us, we let ourselves control us. Now let me tell you, the world will say that's where true freedom is. 
When you take your life into your own hands, when you're in charge, when you're autonomous, when all the stops are out, but nothing could be more devastating for our lives than when we take control. We're powerless. We can't change our circumstances. We can't change our relationships. We can't control where our life begins and ends. We think we're in control, but we've got the death wobbles down a steep hill. It's a good thing when God rules and controls our life because he's in control and he's powerful, powerful over our circumstances. Um, Whether they're good or bad, he uses them for our good and we can trust him in that. He's powerful over our relationships and most significantly the relationship that we have with him and he's powerful over sin and Satan and death. Self-control is good because it puts God in control of our lives instead of us. Yes, always saved by grace through faith. Grace, the gift of God's forgiveness that we don't deserve because we've rebelled against him and placed ourselves as the rulers of our lives, not God. And faith, not in ourselves or our works or our heritage, but denying the things that we think qualify us for grace and placing our faith in Jesus alone in his life and death. That's self-control, denying the self and depending on Jesus. Now, this isn't a once-off. It's a continual disposition of those who follow Jesus. It's, it's the shape of your life as you follow Jesus, which is my second point. Self-control is a continual disposition. I think Luke's gospel captures this really well um, from memory because it's Collins running through my, my, my brain. It says, if anyone would come, come after me, he must deny himself, take his cross daily and follow me. That's Luke chapter 9, verse 23. You guys remember that? Yeah? It's just ingrained into me. But see how it's daily? There's something, this is something that you do every day, taking up your cross, denying yourself, Now, that could sound like a burden we can't bear. It could sound like we're just always suppressing ourselves, but we've just seen that God in control of our lives is a good thing. And I want to show you from the Bible the beauty and the wisdom and freedom of it as well. Turn with me over to Galatians chapter 5. I think it's on page 1074. And we're going to start in verse 22. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, we must follow the Spirit. We must not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. Why, why did self-control make it onto this list? Why is it there? And I think it's because of the, the very start of this chapter. Chapter 5 and verse 1, it says, Christ has liberated us to be free. Stand firm there and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Being controlled by our sinful desires is something that we've been set free from. They've been crucified. See in verse 24, our, our, we've been crucified with Christ. 
We have a new master and we don't have to say yes to sin. Remember that sermon from Romans 6. So self-control is a fruit of the Spirit because the Spirit produces in us the ability to say no to our sinful desires, to control ourselves. And notice that self-control is not just a human effort thing. It's not a mindfulness routine or becoming a mind warrior, as cool as that sounds. It's a Spirit-produced fruit. It's fruit that evidences the work of the Spirit. Self-control is more like becoming a spirit warrior. How much cooler is that? It means that with the Spirit's help, we can say no to the things that used to overpower us and control us. I think of drunkenness, lust, outbursts of anger, greediness. It's pretty much this whole series like wrapped up together. The Spirit helps us see these things for what they are, a yoke of slavery, And along with love and joy and peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness and gentleness, the Spirit gives us self-control. So keep in step with the Spirit as a continual walk, continuing in the way that you started, submitting ourselves to the desires of Jesus, not the sinful desires of the flesh. It means that self-control is not just putting off sinfulness, self-control is putting on godliness according to the desires of Christ. It's interesting, isn't it, that we control ourselves not to do bad things, but that doesn't mean that we, we don't control ourselves to live according to Christ. Self-control is negative and positive. Now, I noticed in myself an addiction recently Uh, I was reading this book on anxiety and it talked about how when we're anxious, we often look to things to soothe ourselves. And often these soothing things are a little idol that we have. And we look to them for comfort instead of Jesus. We look to them to calm our agitation. And we think that once we've got it, we'll feel better, that it will soothe ourselves. And often there there is a small moment of soothing, but it's momentary, it's fleeting And there's so many excusable Christian examples that I can think of um, to soothe ourselves, like clothes, hobbies, things for my children, it's not for me, Um, checking the news feed in the morning, Facebook, doom scrolling on Instagram, browsing for sales. We can quickly run to these things to calm ourselves. And I'll tell you what it is for me, and you'll think I'm crazy uh, because it makes me look so weird, but I've made my peace with that. Uh, For me, it's something called Warhammer. Uh, It's these little miniatures that you paint and you play games with them. It's like board games, but 3D. There you go. I've caught you up to speed with what Warhammer is. Every day, the Warhammer company, they put down this news feed on the internet and and often there's, it's updated every day and there's often previews of miniatures that they're going to release in the future. And it gets me excited. And I feel agitated when I hadn't looked at it yet. And and I want to know what I can look forward to next. And I realise that I get impatient waiting. That my, my mind is always bent towards it, occupying more of it than it should have. And when I read this anxiety book, it was just all red flags, like... And I realised that my lack of self-control had formed a habit that I ran to when I felt agitated and had made an idol in my heart 
and not a very fulfilling one at that. Now, this is just called an addiction, right? And addictions are sometimes hard to stop. Now, if that's you this morning, you don't have to do it alone. And it's not as if the Spirit doesn't help you through your, your, your brothers and sisters here in Christ, your friends, your spouses, programs, resources, medications, therapists. But here's some helpful things to keep at the very top of your list. Read your Bible. And as you read it, look for what it says about who God is and who you are in relation to God. Dripping from every page, you should find that he's the powerful creator God who cares for his creation, who keeps the promises that he makes, who's patient and kind, who loves us enough to send us his son, who forgives us. That should be soothing. When we're agitated, when we think we're going to lose control and, and go run to something else, we should put our trust in this God. We shouldn't turn to the things of the world that would control us, that aren't God. They're nowhere near as good as being under the control of the God who cares. Something I did that helped me sort of break this habit that I had formed, this little addiction, um, was to make my bad habit a trigger for reading my Bible. Every morning when I woke up, I'd make my coffee and my first instinct used to be to pull out my phone to check the Warhammer news feed, right? Bang! Make it a, a trigger for me to pick up my Bible and read it instead. And over time, my instinct changed to actually, as I'm making a coffee, pull out my Bible was the first thing that I did in my day. I don't know what it is for you, that's just me a weird example, but what, what is it for you that you run to that's hard to control? Maybe, maybe make it a trigger to pick up your Bible and read it instead. It's beautiful to see, isn't it, that self-control isn't an oppressive suppression of yourself. It's freedom from the things that we've been slaves to. It's freedom from things that were unfulfilling and ultimately powerless to help us. Self-control is beautiful and there's wisdom in it too. Oh, sorry. There's wisdom in it too. And we don't do all of these things, this, these neglected virtues and respectable sins, and we don't scrape them all together to be better moral people. There's wisdom, yes, in not drinking and, and, and it's easy to see how destructive lust is and how good it is to be in control of your anger. But let me say it again. We don't control these things because we're trying to be better moral people. We control them because we've denied the self and placed Jesus as Lord of our lives instead. We live for him now and his desires. We live for righteousness and the kingdom of heaven. Now, the world may still scoff and say, boring. Christians are party poopers. They're fun police. They're joy killers. Better to self-let it go than self-control. Pull the stops out. Lose control. But the world will never tell us the cost of living this way, the slavery that, you'll put, that it will put you in, the fleeting fulfillment. Jesus says, what will it benefit a man if he gains the whole world? yet loses his soul. It won't. There'll be no benefit. Better to live for Jesus and deny the self. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, 
We thank you so much for the gift of your son to us who's freed us from sin, from the things that would control us so that we can live for him, a better master by far. We thank you that you care for us. We pray that we'll live lives that don't just begin in a moment of self-control as we submit ourselves to you, but that we'll live lives that are continually lived out in service of you, in service of your desires that control our lives, not our own. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.